Well, good morning, everybody. Can you can you hear me all right back there? I've got this a much more authoritative sounding voice, but I don't know that it carries quite as far. <laughs> um, what does the word Deuteronomy mean? Second law. Yeah, and um, but I'm hoping you noticed as you read these nine chapters that it doesn't sound like a rehash of, say, Leviticus, you know, which would have been the first law. Um, I mean, there were there were some cert- certain things in there that sound like some laws, but um, I don't think there was a single mention in these nine chapters of any sacrifices. Very different from Leviticus. Now, <clears throat> I, I'm pretty sure we're going to get sacrifices later on in, in Deuteronomy. Uh, <clears throat> But Deuteronomy is not its not so much just a second telling of the law as it is a telling of what was on Moses' heart. Um, what we have here in, the, in, this, uh, in this book are a series of Sermons, I guess you could you could call them. This outline calls them addresses uh, to the people. Um, they're they're right where we left them at the end of the book of Numbers, which was uh, where geographically <coughs> right. So where does that leave them? Yeah, just east of the Jordan River. As soon as they cross the Jordan, what what city are they going to run into? Jericho. Jericho, yeah. So you just find Jericho on a map, which is just to the north of the Dead Sea. Go east, and they're camped that, in that area. Um, and Moses now is going to... He's undertaking his very last work as a leader of these people um, because he already knows he won't get to do what? Yeah, he won't get to go into land, which we'll have to talk about that a little bit because that comes up in in this morning's lesson. Yeah, I was reading in the Walden, and, and um, he, uh, he didn't get to go into land. He okay, I I I'm not I couldn't give it a, an exact date. Yeah, that's what he said. But um, and. <clears throat> But anyway, yeah, he, it's it's he's he's almost finished. He's not going to get to cross the Jordan, so he wants to impart to these people what he really cares about. This was one of the books we did in a lecture um, a couple years ago. I forget, well, several years ago, um, a series of lectures called "Last Words," because these are the last words of Moses. Linda didn't think Bruce did a very good job on it. <laughs> she was not happy, but um, maybe we can do a better job this time through. Uh, Moses is really telling people what what he cares most about, and we'll see that as we go through um, the um, the outline here. 
We're going to finish the first address of Moses, which is just the first four chapters. It's a, it's a short one. The second address goes for you know 22 chapters, something like that. It's 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 very long. And and in that second address, uh, there will be a lot of laws. We won't we won't cover them this morning, but next week, in your reading next week, you'll get into those laws. Um, and the, and they'll be the, it'll be a lot like parts of Leviticus. Um, and then after that, there's a, a third address, which is a couple chapters long. Then we'll have the renewal of the covenant final exhortations to the people and Joshua to the priests and then Moses has a song that he wants the people to learn because songs can tend to remind people when other things won't remind them his final blessing and then his death and his burial finishing it up we're going to cover the, the whole book in three and a half weeks counting this week so it'll be a fast trip through the book um, but I'm hoping we can get the main point Moses really Moses cares about God and he wants the people to do to obey God he wants them to be God's people and of course he's he's had 40 years of experience with these people and that does not leave him with a lot of optimism in, in these people in themselves but he's also seen how God has carried them all the way and God has never let them down. <clears throat> and so that's where he would get his optimism from, would be from God. Um, so let's look at the book. The, um, the first few verses are, are an introduction to the whole book. And there's the oddest thing, and, and I hope some of you noticed that this thing was odd. <laughs> and in fact, you may even know, you may have even figured out what it's about, but uh, the first verse is not odd. I mean, these are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel across the Jordan in the wilderness in the Arab opposite Suf between Paran and Trophel and Laban and Hazaroth and Dizahab. It is 11 days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. Now, that's just kind of stuck out there. Do you notice that? I mean, and then it goes on, you know, in the 40th year. Why is he telling us how long it takes to get from Horeb, which is um, Horeb is another name for what? Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai. Yeah. So, what book would you have to go to to read about the journey from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea? Exactly. You go to Numbers. Um, it was in the second year when God said it's time to move on, and they went up to Kadesh Barnea. What happened at Kadesh Barnea? No, that was at Sinai. Um, the spies. Ah. And at the end of the spies' 40 days, the people failed. So the journey from, from Horeb or Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea was supposed to be the beginning of the conquest. 11 days journey to, to Kadesh Barnea and then right on in, you know, just march right in and take the land. At the end of the 40 years, when God called them all together again, where did he assemble them to? Kadesh Barnea. So, 
in a sense, you can say, how long did it take him to get from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea? 38 years. Yeah, plus 11 days. <laughs> yeah. What's another word for signing? Horeb. Yeah, I'm sorry. The Bible does this all over the place where it's got multiple names for the same thing. It just makes it hard. <laughs> uh, Mount No, no. Mount Seir is the mountain uh, uh, that the Edomites had. That They owned Mount Seir. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of mount, mountains. Mount Hor was the mountain where Aaron died. I mean, there's just a bunch of these mountains. Um but I just want to talk about this this verse too. It just it just stuck out there, and unless you think about it, you don't realize why Moses is making this point. He's he's trying to explain, folks. It didn't have to be this way. It's only eleven days. Why was it thirty eight years? And he's going to explain why. And that's this first his first address goes back through their history. Very briefly, obviously, I mean, four chapters to cover the, you know, what what was half the book of Exodus and the whole book of Numbers. Uh, it's a very brief summary, but again, it's the summary of the things Moses thinks are important, <clears throat> and and that's what makes these speeches so useful. That Moses is pulling out things. He's not just trying to, you know. Just so you don't forget, folks, here's all, all the things that ever happened. No, that's not the point. He, he, this, he, these are sermons. And he's, he's wanting them to learn some lessons from, from these. So here is his, um, here's his first sermon, which starts in verse 6. And so he, verse 6 starts at Horeb which is also called Mount Sinai. So we're, we're back to what we read in verse 2. <laughs> and so he goes on about how God had, had called them from Sinai and he's going to lead them up. And then Moses takes a little digression here because he said he wasn't able to bear the burden of these people. And what did God do to solve that problem? Yes. So he had other leaders that were over different groups of people. Um, he mentions there are over thousands, over hundreds, over fifties, and over tens. So kind of like a military arrangement. Um, but I think the point here is that these people were appointed by God, and Moses er, Moses impresses upon them the er, the importance of their task because they are appointed by God. In verse 16, he says that, in verse 17, you shall not show partiality and judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. And and so, not only did the judges need to understand this, but the people need to understand this, that they need to respect these men, that they're they're giving them judgments from God. After yeah. Moses died, did they still have these? Yes, I, I, yeah, they, they, they definitely did. Now, I don't know... I can't give you specific references to it, but there were. Um, very, it's very often you'll find in the in the Old Testament the elders of the people, and you'll and it'll talk about how the elders that are in the gates. Well, the gates were the entrances of the cities, and that's 
and that's where that was their courthouse basically it was in the open but the judges would sit there and would judge the cases um, now whether they you know whether the exact divisions we have here tens and fifties and all that I don't know but um, they continue to have judges it wasn't just the king at the top there was lots of people in between yeah. when Samuel is talking about um, to the Israelites about having a king and the way he's going to treat people he brings that up too that he's going to appoint people over certain numbers is he bring that up because because well, I think when he brings it up, they're going to be military leaders. They already had people that were over them in terms of, of judging them. But when they're military leaders, they're going to start conscripting people into their army. They're going to, want, they're going to start taxing them. He, uh, Samuel's point is that that's going to be a great burden on you people. And, of course, they blew them off, you know. Yes, in, in the context here, the, the, the context is of um, tell them what God's will is, judging between people when they have lawsuits. Um, that, that's what these, peop- these men are for. Um, all right, now on the board, I put an outline of this first address. And so in the first chapter, we're looking at the review of the people's refusal to enter the land. The, that first time and so that we continue in verse 19 here um, they went on up to Kadesh Barnea and then they they asked Moses to do what kill the Ammonites no verse 22 They were sending the, the spies. Yes. Yeah. Now, in Numbers, that that was it was the command of God to send the spies in. And here, when Moses refused it, they asked for it. So my assumption is that they asked, and then God agreed. Yes, go ahead and do it. But Moses is telling the story from the fact that you know, you guys wanted these spies to go in, and then you listened to these spies as they destroyed your faith, and and that's the point of this story. That they were just terrified that the these cities were too difficult for them to take. The people were too warlike, um, and so that in uh, verse thirty-five, we we have this repeat of what we had in the book of Numbers, which is none of these people are going to get to go in the land. You know, you, all, everyone that was twenty years old or older when they left Egypt and got counted in the numbering, you're going to die before anyone goes in the land. Right, yeah, they're the only two that are going to make it. And then, of course, he reviews the story that we found so amazing there in verse 41. The next day, what did the people decide to do? They changed their mind. We have said, we'll go. Yeah, we'll go. And um, the day before, they wouldn't go because lack of what? Faith. Now, how did they suddenly get all this faith in one night? Well, in fact, it's not faith. That's the problem. Um, the next day, they're, they're willing to go, but it's still not faith because faith does what God says and trusts that God will give the increase. But God said, you're not going in for another 38 years, and they wouldn't accept that. 
Um, well, they did it because they didn't like the punishment. That was the issue, and that happens to us too. I mean, yeah. There's times when God puts us in situations where we don't like to be, and it's very easy for us to lack faith in God and just just refuse to accept what He's what He has told us we're, it's going to have to be. Sometimes we're in a situation we're in because of something we did wrong in the past. And and it's a consequence. God's giving us a punishment. But you never improve on on situations by refusing God's punishment. And this was a situation where these people were being punished, but they could not improve on it. They're they're not going to get around it and think that you know, oh God will be so happy. We'll go in and take the land. Yeah. In 1948, when Israel was established, uh, there was a lot of cherry among a lot of people, but some of the most orthodox Jews said this was presumptuous. We had no direct authority from God to do this. <laughs> 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 All right. Um, 38 years in the wilderness takes us two verses to cover. <laughs> <laughs> the last verse of chapter 1. So you remained in Kadesh many days, the days you spent there. Then we turned and set out for the wilderness by the way to the Red Sea, as the Lord spoke to me, and circled Mount Seir for many days. Now Mount Seir is not the same as Mount Sinai. Mount Seir is a, is a mountain in, in Edom. Then the Lord spoke to me, saying, You have circled this mountain long enough, now turn north. And it's time to... The 38 years are up, it's time to move on. So, chapter 2 then, for the first part, covers the journey from Kadesh to the river Arnon. Um, Arnon is um, a river that flows from, from the east into the, the Dead Sea, or hitting it right around the north part of the Dead Sea. It's the northern boundary of Moab. And once they crossed the Arnon, they were in the territory that eventually they would own, although they didn't know it at the time. So, this this story covers their journey, um, and uh, I don't see anything bad in it. I mean, we know that there were some bad things that happened in the journey, like the they complained and they got bitten by snakes. But I don't think that's in here. Um, uh, rather, the things that are in this story are the victories that God had given them. Their first victory was over who? <coughs> no, they didn't. They didn't get. They weren't allowed to fight Edom. No. Um, oh, that's the second guy. The first guy is in verse twenty-six. Yeah, Sihon, the the um, king king in Heshbon. Um, and they didn't have to fight him, or at least he didn't have to fight them. They, God had not promised them his territory. They just needed to get through his territory so they could get to the Jordan and get across it, but he wouldn't let them through. So God gave him into their hands and they conquered him, conquered the whole area. Then another king did the same thing, and that was the one 
John mentions in chapter 3, that's Og. Um, so he copied Sihon and Og in this section of his, of his address. Yes, and uh, one of the reasons for that is that this is the first evidence that people have that the things they doubted 38 years ago, they didn't need to doubt. Because 38 years ago they heard, wow, these, these cities have big, huge walls. And Moses very carefully emphasizes, look in chapter 3, verse 5, all these cities fortify with high walls, gates, and bars, besides a great many unwalled towns. <laughs> what they said they couldn't take, God has now given them. And so Moses is, is giving them this as evidence that you can do it. God will give you the victory. And in fact, it was these two victories that terrified the king of Moab. That's why he hired Balaam. And we'll find when, they, when the spies go across into Jericho, it terrified the people of Jericho. I mean, they boy, you know, these people have already conquered these two huge, uh, in, 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 huge peoples. And, you know, we're going to be next. They also mentioned the giant that they were also afraid of. Um, yeah, there was one guy, the king, um, Og, was the last of these descendants of these giants. Um, and assuming his bed was designed because he needed a bed that big, he was really a pretty big guy. He might have been a king that just liked to have a king-sized bed. I don't know. But, um I, I take it he was a pretty big guy. Um, then in the in this review, he mentions the tribes that had asked for that land, and who were those tribes? Reuben, the half the tribe of Manasseh, and and Gad. Yeah, yeah Reuben and Gad, and half half of Manasseh, they're going to get that territory on the east side. And then we have a, a really sad um, little piece here that again lets you into the heart of Moses, and you and you read this and you just you feel like man. Yeah. Right. He hadn't planned to take forty years to get there, and then at the end he he messed up, and he says, I, you know, in verse twenty-three, I also pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying. O oh Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts of yours? Just please let me just go across. And God wouldn't let him. Have you ever thought, how hard would it have been for Moses to have gone across anyway? You know, God said no, but couldn't he have like gotten a rowboat or something and gone across? Well, of course, that would have been exactly the same thing he's rebuking these people for. It, it, God wasn't forcing him not to go across. God was telling him not to go across. The reason Moses didn't go across is because he respected God. And that's the point I was making earlier, that there's times when we get in a situation where God is saying, you know, you can't have this, even though you'd, you, know, you feel like, boy, I'm just going to die if I don't get to have that. Yeah, yeah hang on. But... Um, we never improve situations by taking matters into our own hands. Um, we read this and it looks like, how could God be so unfair? I mean, 
surely most of us have thought of that at times when we read that. How could God be so unfair? Moses has devoted 40 years of his life. He messes up once, and God refused to let him in for the to the one thing that was the goal of the whole thing. And, and he wants it for God's sake. He, he, he says, you know, what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts? So we read that and we think, how could God be so unfair? And God doesn't explain it. God doesn't say to Moses, well, now you'll understand later on. No, He just says, look, don't ask again. <laughs> That's what God says. And it isn't until over a thousand years later when we find out that God did have a plan to get Moses into the land, but it, the, it was going to be by the grace of His Son. It wasn't going to be by Moses' works. Um, and so Moses was able to illustrate another aspect of God by the fact that he was willing to accept God's judgment on this matter. And he, he in fact got a much greater honor than just going over into the land. He was one of only two people to stand with Jesus on, on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, but God doesn't tell him that. All God says is, that's enough of this, you're not going. <clears throat> um, and, and just so you better tell Joshua to do a good job because he's the one that's going to take the people across. So, then in the last chapter of this first address, um, warnings and encouragements to obey God. This is the point. Uh, this is the point of this address. Of course, the point of every one of his addresses, really. Um, now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I am teaching you to perform so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. And so then he goes in and, and he explains that he's been... You know, you've seen what God has done when people have disobeyed Him. He mentions Baal Peor, and there was 24,000 people that died of the plague at that time and it got stopped by a heroic act by who was it? Phineas, yes, as he killed the one of the last violators of the of that command. And so then he he I mean really it's all about God. I mean this is the way Moses addresses this these subjects. It's all about God. Um, verse 7 for what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as is the Lord our God whenever we call on Him and, and again we need to think about the fact that these are not just written for those people they're written for us too um, we are a holy nation today and wow um, if we could just realize this we're the things God has called on us to do, we're not doing in our own strength. What great nation is there today that has a God so near and available for those who call on Him? Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I am setting before you today? 
And there again, I mean, there's times when we read things in God's law that we find to be narrower than we might like, especially when they apply to our own selves. And we need to realize these these commandments are righteous commandments. They are for our good, even though the people around us think just the opposite. I mean, they look at these laws and they say, "Boy, those are so so out of date." You know, um, they were just as out of date in Moses' day. They were righteous then; they're righteous now. But he says, "Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently, so you not forget the thing." And of course, Moses has seen plenty of examples of these people forgetting. Um, and then he takes them back in their history to when they were standing at the foot of the mountain. What was the mountain called? Name of the mountain? Horeb, also known as Sinai. Yes, and and they were going to get what announced to them from the top of the mountain. Yeah, the Ten Commandments. And but notice the point that that Moses makes here in verse twelve. Then the Lord spoke to you from the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but you saw no form, only a voice. What's the point of that? They didn't see a form. There was nothing they could legitimately make a Yeah, how are you going to make a, a statue of God if you can't see him? And that's the point. Um, Moses knew just how prone they were to, to want to have their own idols. They'd already done it with the golden calf. Um, but you didn't see any form. You had, there's nothing you can copy here, and God did it on purpose. So uh, He doesn't want you doing this. And He goes through a whole list of different statues they might want to make, you know, statues of, of the sun or the moon or statues of animals and all that. And, and how that just... You can't, you can't. You don't know what God looks like. You cannot make a statue of Him. Um, and that remains a problem throughout the rest of the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, idolatry is still there, but it's and it's still there with us today. It's just more in a um, a less obvious form. But John ends his first epistle to John, First John. He ends with, "Little children, keep yourselves from idols," which is kind of an odd thing when if you go back through the First John, you don't read anything about idolatry, and yet right at the very end, keep yourself from idols. The point he's making is. When we start fashioning something in our minds that, that we want to serve, that it's not God, it's an idol. And it takes us away from God's holy statutes. It takes us away from, um, from the, the one God. Really, we end up worshiping ourselves. What, what happens? So, he, he, and he's going to come back to this some more, but um, this first address is. is a quick review and, and just urging them do what God says. You know, pay attention and, and he and he picks certain things that he thinks are really key. Then at the very end of the of the address, um, this is not part of the address, but he appointed three cities of refuge east of the Jordan. There were going to be how many total when he was done? Six. Six. Yeah, when I say when he was done, Moses didn't appoint the other three, but there's going to be three west of the Jordan, three east of the Jordan. And we we covered that in the book of Numbers. So then um, we start uh, Moses' second address.
because of the way they had their judges set up to over people? Well, it's a little bit of a misunderstanding about judges. Um, the judges were not in charge of all the punishments. Um, and they were not in charge of the punishment for murder. Um, now, this changed during the Old Testament period, but at the time we're talking now, the person who was in charge of punishing murder was the relative of the guy that got murdered. So if somebody came along and killed one of your brothers, your job, and it's not, it's not a sin, it's not like you know you, sh you should forgive or anything like that, your job is to go kill that person that killed your brother. If you fail in that job, you have failed your family. You have an obligation to punish the sin against your family. Well, the problem comes in, what if, the, what if the killing was an accidental killing? I mean, you're out there, you, you want to punish <laughs> for, for your, your family, but the guy that did it, he, he wasn't planning to murder your brother. It was an accident. So, there's no way he's going to stop and have a conversation with you about it. <clears throat> You've got a sword in your hand. <clears throat> so, he's got to get to one of these cities of refuge. And there's three of them, so the one that's close to him. <coughs> Excuse me. Just give me a second to recover here. So if he makes it to the city of refuge, you can't go in and kill him inside the city. <coughs> At that point, you go and you tell the, the elders of the city, hey, I want this guy judged. They then send him under escort back to your town that's when the elders of your city actually have a trial. And if they determine that he is guilty, then they hand him over to you and you pull your sword back out and you dispatch him. But if they say he's innocent, they send him back to that city of refuge and you can't kill him as long as he stays in the city of refuge. Now, if he comes out of the city of refuge, even though he's been declared innocent of murder, you can still kill him because he's supposed to stay in that city. When does he get to go out of the city? When the high priest dies, yeah. <clears throat> Who knows when that might be, of course. Isn't that an odd time to have him leave? <clears throat> What's the point for us today? Our high priest died, and we got to go free. That's the point. That's what this is all about. Um, yeah, all of these things are, are lessons to, for us today. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, I mean, we, it's talking about murder. Um, yeah, I mean, it does say thou shalt not kill, but um, it's talking about murder. I mean, when we're talking about accidental killing, that isn't something someone tried to do. They didn't do it on purpose. Um, I mean, how can you tell someone not to do something they didn't mean to do anyway? Although, in that regard, there are laws where you have to take due precaution. Uh, you know, like if you dig a hole, you have to put a, a, you know, some kind of barrier around it. You, if someone falls in and gets hurt, it's your fault. Um, yeah, other, did that, is that so what? In the New Testament, so in the New Testament, they, if, if that person kills, they 
Well, now, but by the time of the New Testament, they didn't. They weren't doing it. Uh, the avenger of blood was no longer doing it. Uh, the Roman government was in charge of it in the New Testament. But even even in the Old Testament, it, at some point we don't know exactly when, but at some point it switched over to the king and his judges who were responsible for that. And and in in truth, it was probably an improvement. Um, because when you have families avenging each other, you you get feuds. I mean, you just like the Hatfields and the McCoys. Um, and so the family, the family thing was from the days of the patriarchal patriarchal age when that was kind of all, all you had was your family. By the end of the Old Testament period, you've got the whole nation, and, and you have judges and a king who's who's in charge of enforcing justice. <clears throat> I'm not suggesting we go back. You know, I don't think any of us want to be the avenger of blood for our brothers. Um, uh, other questions or comments? All right, let's look at the second address. And we're going to be in the second address next week as well. This is, you'll, you may notice an odd thing about this outline. I've, I've got lots of points, you know, like one chapter point, one chapter point, till I get to chapter 12. <laughs> chapter 12 to 26. Various laws. <laughs> So, it's, it's kind of a lopsided address. So, um, the uh, the first section of the of the sermon is the Ten Commandments. Now, that if you're going to go back and find the original Ten Commandments, where would you look for that? Yeah, Exodus chapter twenty. And so, these are the two places in the Bible where the Ten Commandments are found: Exodus twenty and Deuteronomy five. And they're the same, of course, although they're, they're worded a little bit differently. But you know that you won't find like number seven is different or anything like that. They're they're the same, and they're the foundation. I mean, Moses is bringing it out because that's the foundation of the whole law. Um, and so then he goes on, and he he's starting to enlarge on it, and he picks this one that Jesus tells us in the New Testament is the greatest law. Uh, it starts in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. Notice it's not one of the Ten Commandments, but Jesus picked it as the greatest of the commandments. Moses is picking it as the basic principle that he's going to lead off with as he expounds upon the law of God. And so for the rest of the chapter... He's urging them not to leave God in various ways. The first way is one that we need to pay a lot of attention to. In verse 10, when, when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you swore your, to your fathers and He gives you these great splendid cities and houses and all this, and then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Now isn't that human nature? You know, what, what more? Lot, what? How often have we seen this happen for people that they they believe in God, they serve God, they get rich, and they forget God? And um, then he warns them about following other gods, which of course is going to be a major problem for the rest of their lives. In verse sixteen, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested him at Massa, and that's that's. That was a time when they were going through some very difficult times 
And they were saying, is the Lord our God among us or not? And that's another time when we can leave God. Um, We can leave God when we get rich. We can leave God when things are hard. Adversity. And and so he's, he's looking at both of those here. The third way you can leave God is by not passing God's law on to the next generation. And so in verse 20, when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what do these things mean? And he says, you know, here's what you've got to teach. You, you, you know, you need to, you've got to make sure that the next generation learns these things too. And, and, and that's right. After Joshua died, then they, they lost it. They just had not passed it on. Um, and so, um, in, in verse 4, in, in section 4, uh, chapter 7, keep yourselves from idols. This, this chapter, it's, it's not entirely about idols, but I, I kind of summarize it that way. Um, he's warning them about intermarrying with the people of the land because, of course, they're going to get into idols if they do that. Then, in verse 7, the Lord did not set His love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples. Well, why did He pick you? Well, because He loved you. He, he kept the promise. Um, and I think Moses is addri- again addressing this issue of pride. Um, when we get rich, we fall into pride. When things are going well with us, we fall into pride and we start thinking, it's because of just who I am. You know, I, I'm just a really good people and all these other people, they're, they're a bunch of jerks. You know, they, they could have done better too, but they haven't. And... and and pride takes over, and that was a problem that the Israelites were going to have. And, the, and then they get to the point where they think, well, you know, God owes this to me. Um, which is a serious misunderstanding of the character of God if any of us think God owes us anything. Um, so he goes on like this and tells him, you know, if, if, you'll, if you'll just do what God says, He'll bless you. And you'll have, and it'll just be wonderful. But um, in verse 17, he warns them about a lack of faith. Uh, this is kind of the opposite of pride. But you know, if you say in your heart, "These nations are greater than I," how can I dispossess them? He saw them fail 38 years earlier with that problem. And and so don't he says, don't fall into that. And that's the, again is a trap we can get into where. Um, God wants us to do a great work today, and we can look at it and we say, "Well, I don't know how we can. You know, we're just so few. How can we do this work?" And that and that's the the message. You're not the one doing it; it's God doing it. And and so you, you in verse twenty one, you shall not dread them. The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you, and he goes on like that. And then, of course, when you conquer them, you got to be sure to burn all their idols. Um, <clears throat> Then in chapter 8, and I, I'm not going to finish all the chapter we were going to read, but I think I can do one more chapter. In chapter 8, he reviews God's dealings with them in the wilderness. And, and, that, and the goal here is to encourage them uh, to do what's, what's right. Um, because the, the, it was difficult in the wilderness, no question. I mean, they had very hard times. But God was giving them these hard times knowing what He was giving to them. He says in verse 2, He was testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep the commandments or not. 
And again, a reminder to us, because the same things happen to us today. We don't get to pick the, the events of our lives. And there's times when things are going great, there's times when things are not going great, and we don't get to pick. God is the one who picks. And he, each of these is designed for us. He's, he's carrying us through. He will carry us through. He wants to know what's in our heart. He wants us to know what's in our hearts. We, and and I, I think we're probably the ones that need it more than God does to know what are we made out of. Um, he humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. And and he goes on how he took care of them, and now he's bringing them into this wonderful land. Um, and so the conclusion of verse 11, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by keeping His commandments and ordinances and so on. Um, and here again he's talking about the pride that comes from you know being rich. And he reminds them about the fiery serpents and the water from the rock. Um, and in verse 17, Otherwise you may say in your heart, My power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. Very common. It's a very common attitude in our country today. You know, you'll hear these people talk about how this is a Christian country. And, 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 but when they talk about it, they talk about it in their pride, like they did it themselves. And you know, you know, um, I've seen bumper stickers like, um, God, guns, and one other one that starts with a G, I forget what the third one is, and it just, I'm thinking, that's exactly what he's talking about here. Just, just, just simply pride, you know. We, we got God in our pocket. You know, that's kind of the attitude. Um, but he says in verse 19, it should come about if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you today that you will surely perish. And that's, he's going to come back to that many times more in this in this book of Deuteronomy. I've, I've got to stop there. Any questions before we see, we close? I appreciate everyone's help this morning. Yes, you can. You certainly can. Okay. Um, which one did you have that you